0: Hello Intrepid Boozers, and welcome to Drink4. Dot, 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 the podcast that combines a lifelong film infatuation with an overarching love of drink, an interactive journey that encourages the incorrigible, while providing an intoxicating alternative to a night out. Think Netflix and chill without the chill, perhaps without the Netflix, and definitely without the sex. Who knows? Maybe we'll learn something along the way, or at the very least, have a bit of immature fun. Welcome back to the Closet of Sorrow, everyone. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Brooks. And this week, oh, do I have a serpentine treasure for you? Jennifer Chambers Lynch's Hiss with three S's. So you know, it's super, super spooky. This is an incredible film, probably. I haven't seen the whole thing, so I can't make that judgment. However, with direction by a Lynch, a story based in Hindi folklore probably pretty loosely, starring the incredible Bollywood sensation Malika Sharawat, Jeff Duchet, and Irfan Khan. So how can this be a bad film? The answer to that question, of course, is that it cannot be, unless you consider the fact that Jennifer Lynch completely disavowed this film. She filmed the whole thing in India, gave it to the producers, who were very unhappy with what she had put together, and never even got to do scoring or color timing or any of the other things that she probably would have done had it been hers. They did put her name on it, but in a quote from her, she says, it is not my film. I went to India and shot some footage, but I have nothing to do with the movie they made. So this is in fact not a Lynch film, but I think it's fun to pretend. Sometimes you just have to let go and with a film about a Hindu goddess who takes the form of a snake and in this case becomes some sort of feminist revenge deity. We, we have to take positive things where we can get them. Interestingly enough, the snake woman in question, played by Shirawat, was designed by the inimitable and the wonderful Robert Kurtzman. And for you Tarantino fans out there, created the story for Dusk Till Dawn. He directed Wishmaster, which was the first in a trilogy of strange gin based horror films from the late 90s. And for the crazed Wes Craven cravers out there, he did some of the freddy creatures in Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Worked on John Carpenter's Incredible Mouth of Madness, quote-unquote, again, Incredible Mouth of Madness. He did help with the special effects on Evil Dead 2, as well as... Army of Darkness. Worked on The Amazing Spawn. As we all know, had a higher budget than The Matrix and lower production values than one of the other films he worked on, Spy Kids, and of course, Bubba Hotep. So that's Robert Kurtzman in a nutshell. I'm sure he'd love the list I've created about his career there. Now, his itself apparently was a nightmare to shoot Uh, They made a documentary titled Despite the Gods about Jennifer Lynch's struggle to make this film. That came out about three years after this 2009 masterpiece. I'm going to start calling it a masterpiece because we all know it will be. Based on the following plot summary that I was able to find for it. George States, played by Duchette, great name there for an American wreaking havoc in India, steals a powerful snake. Nag, to gain immortality via his partner, Nagin. Nagin being the female serpent created by Lord Shiva. She will always follow her partner. So if you catch her partner, you will catch her, thereby gaining the secret gem to immortality that is somehow imbued in her soul or self. Now, Mr. States, keeps this snake in a glass box that electrocutes and tortures him. This torture of course is an added incentive for Nagin to find her lover. Mr. States then takes this box back with him to either Chennai or Mumbai. I know this was shot in both of those locations, I'm not sure, but all of the jungle scenes were shot in Kerala. Now once Mr. States gets back to the main city, we are introduced to Detective Vikram Gupta, who's Irfan Khan's character, and he helps Nagin, who has followed after transforming into Sharawat's beautiful form, and he, much to the chagrin of his wife, starts helping this very gorgeous woman search for her husband. Once she's in India, she becomes, as I said earlier, this sort of feminist revenge superhero, where she murders people who harm women, which is an interesting interpretation I hear of this folkloric legend, and then things go on from there. This film has received quite a few horrible reviews. When it came out, writers for The Times of India, CNN, IBN, and NDTV all gave it pretty much the lowest grades that you can get I think Cosme of the Times was generous enough to give it two out of five stars, but is quoted as saying a film like Hish should have scored with its special effects, but once again, the carnage that the serpent unleashes is grotesque, and her transformation from seductress woman to venomous reptile is more funny than eyeball grabbing. So we can assume That this film, despite being released in 2009, has special effects straight out of maybe the early 90s. Maybe straight out of Spawn. Maybe that's what Kurtzman was trying to do here. Maybe he's trying to make a modern, feminist, Indian Spawn. And that's what I hope this is. Now let's get into the rules for this. I am going to have to say drink for death. We always drink for death. We always drink for drinking. We always drink for bloodshed. In this, we're going to drink for any English words that slip out. There's got to be a lot of that in this. There's got to be a lot of strange dubbing. Jeff Duchet cannot speak Hindi. And so I know there's going to be some strange dialogue transitions in this, just like in any, any Shaw Brothers film. And in a lot of those Hong Kong films, a lot of the Jackie Chan films, people are going to be dubbed erroneously, and it's going to be kind of a free-for-all. We're going to drink for jealousy over this sexy woman stepping in on Khan's wife. We can't have that happen. We're going to drink for blood. We're going to drink for serpentine things. kissing or scales or slithering or anything there. We're going to drink for really terrible CGI. We're going to drink every time we're confused. And I think that should be enough. This is 90 minutes long. It's going to be something. I beyond probably being quite frustrating, I imagine it will be stupid if we try to look at it seriously through goggly, goggly booze eyes. Of course, the drink this week has to be the snake bite. Now, depending on your location as a listener, this is going to be one of two things. This is going to be a shot made with, disgustingly enough, Yukon Jack and lime juice. Or, if you're in the UK, this is going to be the thing that you probably threw up your entire uni years—half cider, half lager—enjoy the shit out of that. You can't drink anything else. You're not allowed. And I know you're—you're you're sitting there, clever, and you say, "But what about what about a cobra, the Indian lager?" And to that I say, "Fucking well done. All right, have a cobra. I mean, you—you—you you, you win. Okay, good for you. Now that that's been taken care of." Now that we've gotten this all out of the way, it's time for us to go down once again into that deep, dark rabbit hole of just mediocre films on Netflix. But, you know, at least we're trying. We'll see you in a few minutes. See you in a few hours. We'll never be the same again. I love you and goodbye. I was having a little bit of trouble getting this podcast notice until I turned to the wonderful people of Space Square. Space Square, is your website or product not getting enough notice? We'll write your domain name on a two-inch square piece of aerospace-grade aluminum and shoot that square into space. What's more permanent than space? Answer to that is absolutely nothing. Get global exposure once every 92 minutes as your space square orbits the globe. Who knows? Maybe your space square will be snapped by one of the astronauts orbiting in the ISS, be featured in one of the deep space images taken by the Hubble telescope, or create a global stir when it obstructs Google's satellite images of Trenton, New Jersey. Get 10% off launchpad fees when you enter the code D-R-I-N-K number 4 comma, comma, semicolon at checkout. The snakes shown slash used in this film are not live and in fact made of rubber and fiber to give a real-life look. The process is called animatronics, which falls under the purview of computer graphics interface. Parentheses, CGI. Say, did you guys have a super special time with his? Fuck me, that was... That was one of the best films I've ever seen. I'm not sure why there's no Rotten Tomatoes, Critic Score, and why all of those people from various Indian media outlets seem to have given this such a low-grade out of 5 slash 10. This was an incredible film, and it should be treated as such. I think that's going to be a running theme with this podcast, is every time I come back from a film, because I'm drunk, I'm going to be automatically extremely positive about things and so maybe we should all get drunk more often. Maybe criticism should be handled by drunks. This film was great and I'll tell you why. One, all of the dialogue is spot on and wonderful. Mr. States is incredible. The rule that I lay down right at the beginning was perfect for all of the English language being thrown in To the Hindi dialogue. This, of course, is going to be a holdover from a lot of colonialism, but also from the filmmaking process itself, in that Jeff Duchette cannot speak Hindi, and so he must have been dubbed after the fact. Now, this gives rise to one of the best lines in the movie, which I'm going to do a really poor job at reciting in its original context. The interesting thing about Duchette's character is that he thinks in Hindi. So his character's inner monologue is in Hindi and he has this thought to himself in the first present-day scene. Mr. States, abko third-stage brain-cancerhe, which is an insane (laughs) version of what must be more easily said in pure Hindi, which is Mr. States, you have third-stage brain cancer. Why this was anything but it seems strange but a lot of this is shot in either Hinglish or in Glindy. It depends on which one you'd rather go for. But definitely all well, Duchette's dialogue is in that and I'm gonna keep pronouncing his name in various different ways. Duchette Duchette. I'm sure it's one of those two. I really I don't care. I don't care how he pronounces his name. Blah blah blah. Now One of the things that you notice right off the bat with this is the weird and jumpy edits. These credits come in. They give you the disclaimer that I started this episode with about the CGI snakes, which seems very odd given the poor quality of the snakes. I'm sorry, Mr. Kurtzman. I don't know if you were in charge of making these snakes. They don't look real. But they do start it with with a disclaimer for those of us who, I suppose, might be very worried about these snakes. There are no real snakes in this film. Not a single one. And to their credit, I must say that by the end, I don't care that there's not a single one. In fact, I applaud the filmmakers. I know that this is going to be a fake supernatural horror film. I know that snakes are going to turn into women and women into snakes. And so... I go into this thinking that it's going to be something supernatural and so I'm fine when the snakes don't look real. If I'm fine with an unreal premise, I'm fine with things not looking real and so I don't need you to hire and or abuse animals to make me entertained in this way. I think you can entertain me just as much with these fake and rubber snakes. Now going back to my original point, after this opening disclaimer, we go back to 2300 BC India to discuss the origins of the legend of Nagin and Nag in about 35 seconds of what looks like, I don't know, it could be 10,000 BC, it might not be, it might just be. The name of that film is sticking in my head at this point and that's what's gonna go on, which is fine. But you go from that immediately to Irfan Khan's Detective and modern day India, which is a strange way to cut this thing together. This thing was, was definitely shot in a certain way and edited in a completely different way it is full of these jumpy edits there's startling transitions throughout this thing where it will it will cut to a serene lake scene and it will just snap over and go to a temple or to Chennai and just keep going and it just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling and it's insane for that It becomes a weird episode of nonsensical television in that sense. I think maybe it's because I know how this was produced that I I sort of was able to see this dichotomy, and maybe it's not. It's definitely strangely edited, whether or not I know that Jennifer Lynch disowned this film and the producers took it over, or I didn't. This would be strangely edited. And it's just, it's going to be that the whole time. So if you sit back and you buckle in and you're you're ready for it, it's going to be a fucking treat. Oh God, especially if you're drinking this IPA. Oh my goodness gracious. What an IPA. Shout out. Shout out to IPA. Really giving away my race and gender on that one. The next thing that you notice is that the Foley, it's extremely poor and at no point does it ever match, one, what people are saying, two, the actions they're completing, or three, anything that's going on in the background. And this is startling in not only the fact that what we're seeing is so strangely manufactured, it's also ridiculous in that you sit there waiting for things to happen or being startled by the noises of things happening that we haven't yet seen. And that's always a pleasure. Now, pretty much right from the beginning, this, I'm not sure if this is real or not, because it's hard to tell how much influence you get from previous knowledge and how much you intuit from the things that you experience. And that is that Hiss, to me, reads like a really great episode of Twin Peaks, And I don't know if this is early or late Twin Peaks, but it's extremely Lynchian. And it makes sense to me that Jennifer would emulate her dad's style here, or her dad's style in general. She, of course, ended up writing The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer after being on set for so much of the filming Of the original two seasons. Mark Frost and her dad both understood that she, quote, knew Laura so well that it was like automatic writing. And I think being on set for a show that's so strange will always have to influence your style. And whether or not that's true is something that I'm currently grappling with. I don't know if her directing style is like her father's or if i'm just misallocating his style onto her work because the egg follows the hen i don't even know if that's a turn of phrase that human beings use it might be we're not really sure but that's okay And going along with this assumption that this is indeed like an episode of Twin Peaks, Duchette's George States is so fucked up. He is a demonic, possessed character. He's Bob, or at least Leland inhabited by Bob, or maybe Bad Cooper. There's something wrong with him. This brain cancer is a malignant force, not only in that it will eventually kill him, But it has also driven him quite mad. And that is, it's scary to watch him. And Duchette does a really good job of playing him. As soon as he captures Nog, who never transforms out of his cobra-like state. He taunts him in this clear plastic box. And he sits there and he licks the glass. And he makes creepy noises. And he's just so fucked up. And every time we cut back to him, he's just sitting there sadly mouth-agape, shocking this snake. He just keeps sitting there unaffected and just hitting the button to keep shocking this nog, which is an insane sentence. You know, but that's what happens when you start recording podcasts in a closet. You start saying weird shit to yourself. But everyone in the intro to this started basically inhabiting Twin Peaks characters for me. We have Divya Dutta's mom, who is fully in the throes of dementia. She, in our introduction to her, has her bra on the outside of her sari. She thinks that her daughter is an extremely ugly and overweight woman. Irfan Khan is the person she's talking to, and the woman who she thinks is fat and overweight and never gonna find a man is indeed Divya Dutta. All of these little lynching calling cards of these slightly skewed versions of real humans. We never get, you never get in real life a fun version of dementia. You never get in real life a fun version of a psychopathic villain. You never get fun versions of anything and yet here Jennifer Lynch has created that and that's a ton of fun to behold as long as you're willing to let go of the painful reality that's behind it and that, I think, is a lot of what her father does and that's a great lesson that she might have learned here. Going further to expand upon this, this basically becomes because of the police drama and the way that it's scored. And I don't know who scored it. You can look that up. You have the computer. This is like an episode of CSI Miami as shot by David Lynch and I think if you probably edited down the first two seasons of Twin Peaks, you could probably make two or three extended finale episodes of CSI Miami, but it's amazing to see how much music and editing can affect a director's style. That, I think, is, is one of the more interesting things that goes on here in particular. The music is fucking horrible. It's so bad with this overly masculine guitar coming in every time something quote-unquote badass happens. You have all these characters running around to stupid music that means nothing and it's sort of all nonsense. And I guess if you take this all very seriously and you sort of are looking to have a challenging, intellectual, movie-going experience, Hiss will piss you off, and I can understand in that context why those critics were so angry at this. But if you know that it's supposed to be shit, and you go into it, and hear that the director disavowed this entire film, and you go about your day, this is a fucking banger right here. This thing rules. There's there's nothing else about it. It's just that great. So beyond this idea that it is a bifurcated film that was shot by one person and and edited by another group, it is amazing to see some practical effects in 2009. Kurtzman, did an awesome job with this snake I'm not sure how hands-on and in-depth his process with this film was but even if he just provided sketches and another team of people provided these rubber plasticine silicone goop snakes that was great that was great to see some amazing 80s 90s stuff on screen in 2009 because it's very clearly 2009 it's great to see Shirawat transform and transform back that is really weird with how basically workshopping how a human body would go from how it is currently shaped to being a gigantic cobra and instead of sort of going linearly with it and having her lay down and become a snake and then grow. He has her grow and then slowly become snake-shaped and the way in which that occurs and is achieved visually is something that's just a fucking boatload of fun. Goodness gracious. Going further on Shirawat's Nagin this was the hardest thing in the world for me to pin down. I do not understand... I don't, one, as a westerner, understand her status in India as a Bollywood superstar, as a sexual icon, as everything. The way that she acts in this becomes something the likes of which I haven't seen a lot of before. You get a bit of it with mega stars who land themselves in fantasy films or in horror. And they do things for fun. And it's very similar to Shirawat. Starring in Jennifer Lynch's Hindi folklore based film. Hiss. I don't know why she's in this. And I don't know why she apparently showed up to a premiere with a python or some sort of snake draped around her shoulders. She was very passionate about this film I guess. Or she was extremely beholden to the producers. There's a scene where she slithers up as a human woman as a nude human woman slithers up a light pole at night. I don't know that snakes do this. Maybe that's Because they wanted to have a sexy woman slink up a pole. Because you can't hide much behind a pole. But there's this other thing where the gaze of the camera shoots her in such a way that if edited together properly, might have produced something wholly unique. And not necessarily sexy. It certainly would have given her more power, I believe, if if we didn't have it just sort of cut oddly two close-ups of her breasts and genitals for the slink up the pole, and we had her creepily slink up a pole. There's, there's something very different about those two actions, because when we get the close-up, it's a pole dance, but when we get the far away, when, when we pull back and see the action happening, it's unhuman and creepy and scary to watch somebody without any effort involved easily scale a light pole nude without really using their limbs. And in that way, Hiss becomes almost an exploitation film that bobbles between Sheryl fame for her sexuality and this restrained farce about why that could be problematic and these hints of nudity and flirting with her body seemed like it could be a lot more than what it is in the final cut. This might be the strongest example why it's so hard to separate your ideas of a production from what eventually comes out of a film why fans expect one thing and when they get another they're very disappointed i expect a jennifer lynch film and what i got was a mix of what is a jennifer lynch film and what was a bunch of horny old men staring at malika sherawat's body and that's a weird thing to sort of grapple with because i wanted to love this Because it is objectively strange. And so, if I say to myself, Jennifer Lynch made a good film, it was those goddamn producers who fucked this up, then I can still love this film in the end. Now, does that mean that one, this is true, and two, I'm allowed to do this, I don't know. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. But that's sort of what happened here, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe as an older person, I will come back and I will have to see this film again with clear eyes, with family in front of other people who will inevitably be able to give me a different perspective on this. And maybe I'll come back at it and really hate what has been done, both filmically and editorially. But the way that I experienced it the first time, this presented me with something that didn't feel like it possessed gaze but that sort of inherited gaze after the fact and I think there's something extremely interesting about that one of the strangest things I noticed about this was the insertion of about a single frame during the middle of this film right during a transition from the city to the country where there is an interval title and it just briefly flashes and I had to rewind a few times to even read what it said This is after, I think, her second murder. And I'm not sure why that exists. I'm not sure why it was put in there, why it was put in there for that duration, and why it needed to exist, because this certainly isn't any Bollywood production that lasts multiple hours. This is a tight 90 minutes. There is no reason to go outside during the middle of this film you you've sat down for 45 minutes do i need an interval title that pops up halfway through did an editor stick that in as a cue to themselves to say hey you know maybe if jennifer shot a lot more footage i can probably cut that out or maybe i should probably just put this in here for myself to say just in case (laughs) so that was uh that was great. And then right after that, another another exceptional moment in this is when a snake charmer who early on identifies her, Nagin has a special relationship with snake charmers and snake charmers with her, notices that this beautiful woman dancing in front of him is probably a goddess. Now he runs away tells George States somehow and we don't ever really get the background to how he tells George States this information but Nagin ends up chasing him down and finding him watching a sort of exploitation snake charmer film which I oh I wanted to watch that film so much more than this one that film just seemed so great and that film had even worse rubber snakes and was just a fucking treasure. That is all I have to say about this film, other than this. As much as I love this film, and as much as I'm pretty drunk right now, because the rules I made fucking rule, and if you drink every time you see blood, you'll die. But Irfan Khan cries for this film, and that right there speaks volumes to how seriously a lot of actors treat films. And if that speaks towards how actors feel about things, and these are the people who are famous. These are the people who have fans, who have the cameras in their faces, and paparazzi, and become the faces of films. If somebody like Irfan Khan cries for this film, he took it seriously. And maybe, yes, he put some pepper in his eyes to do this. But if an actor of that caliber cries for a film of this caliber then what do the costume designers the editors the grips the stuntmen the countless people behind every film what is the level of seriousness that they put into it and I think that's something that we all forget from time to time we get pissed off with how narratives work We're angry with direction and with acting, and we put all of this stock into about four or five very visual, very in-our-face cues in films, but we don't understand what goes into them, and we certainly don't know the work and the passion and the drive that goes behind every second of entertainment that we constantly stuff our brains with. And if Irfan Khan can summon up the empathy to cry during his, I think we can suck it the fuck up and find something good about everything that we consume as a culture. There's no reason to shit on films. There's no reason things get such low ratings. There's something good about everything. I dare you to seek it out. When you do, things will be so much less angry for you, I guarantee it. I don't actually guarantee that, because I'm drunk. And that being said, go out, watch his, get pissed, huh? See, that's not a real rhyme, but it's something, I'm sure. I hope you have a great evening, because God knows I haven't, and never will again. After this film, and the nightmares about snakes that I'll have until I'm dead. Goodbye.